Well, if you would tonight, I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Peter. In the morning, we're going through 1 Peter. In the evening, we're going through 2 Peter. And I didn't plan it this way, but uh, I thank God for the way it's worked out. But strong emphasis this morning on the second coming of Christ and strong emphasis this evening on the second coming of Christ. And so these two messages really fit together together by the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit, and I'm thankful for that. We're going to look tonight at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, and this is part one. Now, next week, next Sunday night, we have Katie Mae Sawyer from us, or with us, and she is a missionary to Paraguay with uh, New Tribes Mission, and she'll be sharing um, her ministry with us next Sunday evening, and then two weeks, We'll look at part two of, of what I'm sharing with you tonight. We'll look at verses 19 through 21. So tonight, verses 16 through 18, and two weeks, verses 19 through 21. This is what Peter writes. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Well, our first point, Excuse me, our first point tonight is the second coming. Last Sunday night, we saw that Peter briefly digressed from his teaching on salvation to tell his readers that he is committed until the day he dies to repeating the essential truths of the Christian faith. It was a wonderful little digression that reminded us of the importance of repetition in the teaching of the Christian faith. Peter said, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. He says, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. So Peter is not addressing new converts, but mature believers. What a great lesson for all of us. He says to these believers who he says, you know these truths and you are established in these truths, but I'm going to keep reminding you anyway that as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to hear the truths of the Word of God over and over and over again. Never say, as I mentioned last Sunday night, never say that there's any, any part of the Bible that you've heard too much because the Bible is a bottomless treasure chest and we could never exhaust any part of it. No matter how many times we hear it, even if it's one particular part or one particular book, we need in the flesh while on earth to hear it as many times as we possibly can. And Peter says in that great summary verse in verse 15, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. This ought to be the goal for every teacher of the Bible, whether a pastor, small group leader, counselor, 
outside Bible study leader, whatever it may be, this ought to be our goal. I will make every effort so that when I am dead and gone, you will be able at any time to recall the things I have taught you. I want them to be so ingrained in you, so immersed in you, that when I'm off the face of the earth, you will remember at any time you will be able to recall the things that I taught you. Well, in our passage tonight, Peter returns to the subject of our salvation and seeks to verify the truth which he and the other apostles proclaim. So, what Peter is doing tonight, or in this passage, is he's saying, I'm going to verify what I've already shared with you. Peter has taught us in this first chapter about the greatness of our salvation and the blessedness of the assurance of our salvation. And now he says, I want to verify this. I want to verify to you that what I am teaching you is true. And he does it, and this is so interesting, he does it by focusing on the second coming of Christ. Isn't that interesting? He said, I want to verify for you that this gospel truth can be trusted. And I'm going to verify it for you through the second coming of Christ. See, already at this time, even in the first century, people were beginning to mock to make fun of the second coming of Christ. I remember a number of years ago, I saw a video clip of a comedian, one who was, is known to occasionally make fun of Christianity and Christians. And he said in his stand-up comedy skit, he says, yeah, these born-again Christians say that Jesus is coming again. It's only been 2,000 years and he isn't here yet. Yeah, right, Jesus is coming again. You know that's been going on for 2,000 years? People have been making fun of the second coming of Christ. We're going to jump ahead a little bit tonight to a passage that we will look at in the weeks to come. But in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verses 3 and 4, this is what Peter says. He says, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, notice this, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Life goes on. Days pass by. I don't see any second coming. And so Peter addresses this. He gives two evidences in this whole passage here to verify the truth that he and the other apostles teach. The first thing he uses to verify it is that he and Peter, or excuse me, he and James and John were eyewitnesses. That's number one. Second, he verifies it through the authority of Scripture, and that's what we're going to look at in two weeks. Through, through eyewitness account and the authority of Scripture, I verify to you that what I am teaching you in the gospel is true. Now, we're looking at the eyewitness account tonight, and here's the thought. Don't miss it, or you will miss the thrust of this whole passage. Here is what Peter is saying. If the truth about the second coming of Christ cannot be believed, 
then neither can the gospel message. Okay, that's why it's so important. That's why the second coming of Christ, the return of Christ is so important. If the truth about the second coming cannot be believed, then neither can the gospel message. And so Peter starts out by saying, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths. In the first century, false teachers were in abundance. They certainly are today, but they were back then. And they developed carefully crafted lies to draw people away and to make money off from them. In Greek culture, teaching was in abundance. People came up with all kinds of theories about life, about eternal life. And false teachers were everywhere. And they had these carefully crafted myths, these carefully crafted lies that were used to draw people away, to make them their followers, to profit off their followings. And some were saying, and some were saying that this new Christian faith was just another false teaching. And that's what they were telling people. This new Christian faith that you're hearing from these so-called apostles, it's just another false teaching. So Peter says that we have taught you, he and the other apostles, we have taught you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He is saying we saw the very glory and majesty of Jesus Christ while we were with him. Now stay with me tonight. Peter, James, and John were part of an event that foreshadows the second coming of Jesus Christ. Okay, I want you to stay with me on that. Peter, James, and John were part of an event that theologians would say prefigures the second coming of Jesus Christ. Folks, I want you to know they already got a taste of the second coming. They did. Now you may say tonight, when did that happen? Well, it happened on the mountain of transfiguration when Jesus transfigured before them. Let's refresh our memories tonight. Matthew chapter 17, verses 2 through 6. And he, Jesus, was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. This was an amazing event. 
that has more significance than I think any of us will ever realize. Which leads us to our second point tonight, and that is the significance of the transfiguration. On the mountain, the three apostles were given a supernatural glimpse of the glory of Christ. Christ received honor and glory on the mountain from God the Father. His face, I want you to try to use your sanctified imaginations tonight. His face shone like the sun. And his clothes became white as light. He was the picture of purity and holiness. And Moses and Elijah appear. That's amazing. That's a sermon in itself. Moses and Elijah show up on the mountain. And many Bible teachers believe that Moses and Elijah were there representing the law and the prophets. And that may indeed be true. But I, I think there's something more amazing here. It was Moses and Elijah. They'd been dead for hundreds of years. And they're still alive. Folks, they're still alive. I want you to know tonight that Moses and Elijah are still alive today. And they appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. They didn't just look like Moses and Elijah. They weren't kind of like Moses and Elijah. It was Moses and Elijah. They show up. And I love what John MacArthur says in his book on heaven. He says, if Moses and Elijah are still alive, so is every person who's believed the gospel, Old Testament and New Testament. They're still alive. This is a great passage on the fact that your loved one who believed the gospel, who knows Christ as Savior, he or she is still alive. They're not kind of alive. They're alive alive. More alive than we are because they're perfect without sin right now. Moses and Elijah show up. Oh, wouldn't you have loved to have been there? I mean, we'll see them someday. We will. Chris, you mentioned that you would see the one you were praying for of the Korah people in heaven. We'll see Moses and Elijah in heaven too. They got to see them ahead of time. Okay? They actually saw them. And then it says a bright cloud overshadows them and a voice from the cloud speaks. They hear the voice of God. Not many people throughout the history of the universe have ever heard the voice of God, but Peter, James, and John heard his voice that day. And God the Father declares that Jesus is God the Son, and that he is totally and completely pleased with Jesus. Peter says the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. Peter said, the voice that came to me, that came to us, was from the majestic glory. Some believe here that Peter, in his Hebrewness, 
didn't want to name the name of God, so simply called it the majestic glory, and that could be. But he is saying, there came a voice from heaven. There came a voice from that realm that is majestic and glorious, and I heard it. And the God of the universe, the God of the universe declares the truth about Jesus the Christ. He declares the truth about him when he says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved Son. This, everyone, is God the Son. Theologians believe that in declaring that, the Father was saying, Here is one who is one with me in essence and in nature. Here is one who is one with me in essence and nature. This one is very God of very God. And he is saying with him, I am well pleased. God the Father is completely and thoroughly pleased with everything, every aspect, every teaching of Jesus. So Peter tells his readers we were there and we heard the voice we were there you have doubts about the gospel you have doubts about this salvation message I want you to know we were there with him and we heard a voice from the majestic glory and we saw Christ transfigured before us in verse 18, it says, We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. I just want us to grab hold of this tonight. Peter is saying, We saw a glimpse of the second coming of Christ. We saw Christ we got a glimpse of his glory. He is saying, we got a glimpse of heaven. On that mountain, they had an opportunity to see what we will see someday when we are in heaven. They saw Jesus in his glory. They saw what the second coming is going to be like. They saw what heaven is going to be like. Now, we don't know. Throughout Christian history, we have never known which mountain this was. Some think it may have been Mount Hermon. Some think it may have been Mount Tabor. But we really don't know. No one has ever been able to verify exactly which mountain this happened on. And you know why I think that is? I think God designed it that way. Because people would probably be at that mountain worshiping the mountain doesn't matter which mountain it was. What is important is what happened there. Peter is saying this. You can believe what we teach because we were eyewitnesses. We were there. We were eyewitnesses of a transfigured Christ. We saw a glimpse of heaven. We saw a glimpse of of his second coming. 
So, here's the heart of the passage. Peter chooses to focus on the transfiguration to show that he can personally vouch for all of Christ's teaching. Verification number one, we were there. We were with him by the Sea of Galilee when he taught, when he performed miracles, and we were with him on the mountain when he was transfigured before us. And he is saying to his readers, this is not false teaching. This is the truth. And we verify that truth by our, by our eyewitness account. Folks, the second coming of Christ is not a myth. Because Peter, James, and John have already tasted it. They've already had a glimpse of it. God wants to use this in our lives. The reason this is part of the holy inspired word of God is so that the truth of the gospel becomes embedded more and more in our minds and in our hearts. That When we walk away from a passage like this, we are convinced. We are convinced in the deepest parts of our souls that this is the truth a truth that has saved us and a truth that we can confidently proclaim not only to those we come in contact with, but a truth that we can confidently proclaim to the ends of the earth. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gospel message. We thank you for the free gift of salvation that is ours in Christ. And Father, we thank you for the apostles. We thank you for Peter. We thank you for James. We thank you for John. And thank you for the Mount of Transfiguration. Thank you that we have brothers in Christ that we will see in heaven one day who were actually there they saw a glimpse of the second coming of Jesus. They saw a glimpse of heaven. Oh, Lord, embed the gospel truth deep within us. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.